Hi guys, welcome back to Millennial Mirrors, a discussion on millennial life in the Middle East. So on this week's episode, we'll be discussing addiction with psychologist Reem Shaheen, where we talk about things like the definition of addiction, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about it, how to recognize the bad habits you're developing, and what could be done in the region to help addiction and the problems that people are facing with it. So tune in and hope you enjoy the episode. This episode is sponsored by Carriage, a great app for ordering what you need in a super convenient way, with no minimum orders. You could literally just order a cup of coffee. So hi, Reem. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mashari. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Um, Can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself before we get started? So I'm a counseling psychologist. I trained um, and I studied uh, mental health and wellness. I'm a trained psychotherapist. Um, on side, I did ex- extensive studies on working with eating disorders and addiction. Mm-hmm. So that's um, my specialty. I mainly work with adults. Okay. I practiced in New York, Cairo, and here in Dubai. Okay, great. Um, so our topic today is about addiction, uh, and which is a topic that you have uh, quite a bit of experience with. Yes. So for the listeners, can you give a definition of addiction? Okay. Well, addiction is, is somewhat of a complex um, condition, mm-hmm. but it may, it's, um, the manifestation is mainly with a compulsive need to use a drug, whatever mm-hmm. that drug is. There's, there's a, the uh, compulsion to use it despite the consequences, and most of the time the consequences are usually harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you see is that um, people with addiction will usually, there's there's part of it that has to do with the brain. I won't bore you, bore you with that. But the, um, the, the behavior is an intense need um, to get this drug. And eventually what develops are two things, the tolerance and the, the withdrawal. The tolerance is that with time, you will need more in order to get the same effect of the drug. So you mm-hmm. start building that. And then the withdrawal are the physical or the psychological effects that, that that the individual will go through if they don't get the drug, which kind of um, emph- uh, emphasizes or uh, makes the compulsion even worse. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of how addiction is viewed. And... I guess, how do you know when you've crossed the threshold into addiction from, like, get just regular use? The, <laughs> the, the way we look at it is that it's, it, it, can go, it can go from regular use to mm-hmm. abuse, mm-hmm. and then there's addiction. Addiction is when most of your time is spent on being under the drug, thinking about the drug, or thinking mm-hmm. about how you're going to obtain the drug. Okay. So your life starts to revolve around the drug, and every other aspect of your life somewhat falls apart, and this is when it becomes an addiction. Okay, I see. And what are some of the different types of addiction that um, can happen? Or there are, um, I mean, addiction is usually we, we just call it uh, substance uh, abuse or mm-hmm. substance uh, use, and then um, and then there's legal and illegal drugs, obviously, um, and then there's other stuff. So the legal and illegal drugs, I mean, alcohol is a legal drug, nicotine, caffeine, those are legal drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the prescription ones like. Um, Painkillers and opioids um, such as uh, codeine, oxytocin, um, uh, oxydone, sorry, mm. um, heroin, which is illegal, but um, you can find morphine. And then there's the um, sedatives, um, 
anxiety, uh, um, anti-anxiety, um, Xanax, Ambien, all that, highly right. addictive, but still legal. And then you have the illegal drugs like um, the hallucinogenic, LSD, PCP, and then the um, cocaine, um, those heroin, are, all those kinds of things. Uh, yeah. Cocaine and heroin and amphetamines and all that um, are Yeah, I think it, the reason I asked that is because I think there's still this kind of uh, big misconception with a large per- percentage of the population where they think the only substances or the only things considered drugs are illegal substances, whereas there are a lot of legal things that you could do and be addicted to. Yes. Um, That's, uh, I mean, the most common one and uh, um, is um, alcohol. Yeah. But then also you see um, caffeine. Everybody's walking around with a cup of coffee or with a Red Bull or with uh, drinking some kind of um, a stimulant. These are mm-hmm. the... the, the They're categorized as stimulants and um, needing that kick in order to be... I can't get out of bed before I get my, I drink my coffee. I can't function if I don't have a Red Bull. So that th- those are um, drugs that are affecting your heart rate, your yeah. brain functioning, your level of stimulation, and are considered legal. Um, I think nicotine m- is the same thing. So many people re- notice that, especially... during Ramadan mm. because of the fact that they can't have their coffee they can't have their and coffee. suddenly the headache kicks in and all those things kick in and, and it's like This all those... This is withdrawal. Yeah, withdrawal, exactly. And yeah. that's when you know that you have an addiction You have issue. an addiction. And then it's important to think about how many cups of coffee do you, do you have and how many did you used to have or maybe not even have how many cups of coffee. Sometimes how strong the coffee is. Yeah. You keep making it stronger in order to get the same kick. People who smoke cigarettes, what did you start by smoking? And now how strong is the cigarette that you're smoking and how many cigarettes a day? Um, these are indicator uh, indicators of addiction. And so what do you think are, or what do you think is the biggest misconception about addiction in the region? I think the biggest misconception is that it's not a problem unless we're injecting or snorting something. Mm. Otherwise, it's fine. So if I if my doctor prescribed me Xanax, that's completely fine. But which is can be okay. But mm. then at the same time, how many how many times are you taking that Xanax? How many pills are you taking for how long? Um, what is the purpose? What was what was it prescribed for? And then looking at the the individual's personality mm. um, and. Do I, do I have a tendency to get um, addicted to or hooked to, to substances? And if that's a tendency, then stay away from these kinds of substances because they are highly addictive. They have the biological component. So if you, as an individual, have that tendency, then it's not going to turn out um, well. So it's... Um, and it's also um, people... Uh, the misconception is always in the way people think of it as... Well, it's 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 a pill. It's not going to do anything. And mm-hmm. actually, no. We <laughs> a lot of the studies are showing the short-term effect of these pills. Nothing is showing the long-term effects of being on those pills for a long time. And you you said something interesting about tendency. So, what do you mean by tendency exactly? With uh, like any, anything in uh, when it comes to uh, mental health and mental wellness, it's not. Um, There's, there's always the biological component. So there's always the, 
that um, uh, the genetic we call it the genetic predisposition. So some right. people will be predisposed to some stuff like alcoholism, for example. It runs in families. There's a predisposition for some people to develop that kind of addiction. So you know you have the gene for it, but just because you have the gene for it doesn't mean that you're gonna get it. Mm. It it means that if the circumstances allow for themselves, and if you have the personality for it, then it will kick in. Right. So there's there's the environment that comes to play into into effect, and this is where an individual individual awareness of themselves and of their circumstances and what they're going through is important mm. um, for them to be able to see whether they will um, in the future world, whether they have the tendency to develop an addiction or not. And in that case, kind of try to limit their exposure to any um, addictive substances. And I guess if you if you don't know whether mm-hmm. or not you historically you have a tendency towards addiction, is there any kind of way for you to find out if you have a genetic predisposition? The genetic predisposition will be that somebody in the family has been struggling with some kind of an addiction. So okay. that's that's the genetic predisposition. With alcoholism, it's specific, but with mm. drugs, it's it's general. Okay. Um, or dependency on 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 a substance. So if that's running in the family, then yeah, that that would be a genetic predisposition but then there's the environmental factors a lack of uh, parental uh, supervision during childhood is an indicator to a development of a a drug use in the in uh, as grown-up poor social skills um, aggressive behavior in childhood um, community poverty availability of drugs at home or school or in the community these are all indicators again I'm not saying that somebody who has this specific circumstance would develop an addiction. But these are all indicators. These are all positive Factors. correlators, yeah. correlations with addiction. So the, so that, that would be the, the, um, the indicators. This is what you look for. And then personal struggles. I mean, um, a lot of the times when I work with um, individuals who struggle with any kind of addiction, to me, honestly, it's never um, it's never the the fact that they're addicted, and it's never really the drug. I I look at the drug just to understand the personality, what they're mm-hmm. looking for, a downer or an upper. But uh, but in general, to me, the drug is just an in, an indication that there is a problem. It's not really the problem. Mm. The problem is that you're using something to fill some kind of a hole within yourself or right. something that's missing. So you start looking for that. And so so when people, if, if for example, you've always been drinking coffee and then it goes into nicotine and then you use some kind of a mellow drug and then a higher up drug or you're experimenting with drugs, of course, experimenting with drugs at a young age is also a uh, um, an indicator, uh, then, yeah, be more wary than somebody who doesn't have this tendency. If you are the person who cannot who can cannot just have one drink and go home, mm. no, it has to be it has to prolong into the night. Then, yeah, I would say that this is there might be something there mm. into the relationship with the drug, and it doesn't have to turn into an addiction for you to start looking at your relationship with any kind of drug. It's mm. um, actually, it's more preventative to look at it when it's just still um, a use or maybe a little bit of abuse. Mm. I'm so um, having such a bad day, so I'm going to go home and pour myself a glass of wine and then it becomes like, 
every time I'm having a bad day, I'm pouring myself a glass of wine. Mm. So what are the drug is being used to for something? It has a it has some kind of a function. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess from that's from you and your relationship with whatever substances you're using. Mm. Uh, what about if you're for the people in your life, or if you if you have someone in your life? What are some of the symptoms or indicators for you to see that someone might be suffering? from addiction or might be developing a very unhealthy relationship with some sort of substance? Um, the, fir- the, the indicators are always that they would, be, they would be extremely agitated if they're not on the drug mm. or if they, if they don't have access to the drug. They're always thinking about the drug. Um, you have people, uh, the first thing that they, when they, um, if they live in a country where alcohol is not allowed, the first thing that they do as, not, as, as soon as they land in a country where alcohol is allowed, first thing I need is is, um, is to obtain that substance. Even yeah. in, w- with smoking, you have people, as soon as they get, get out of an airplane, This I notice this a lot, yeah. the first thing they do is they're lighting up a cigarette. I'm like, That's a bit much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that constant need to be obtaining or uh, to obtain the drug you look at also their 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 level of functioning in the rest of their lives if it's affecting the rest of their life if it's affecting your relationships with other your your work your studies all of that then it's a problem mm. and and you're obviously you're going to observe it aggressive behavior withdrawal especially with um, teenagers I mean with parents if you're noticing that your your child is withdrawn all the time or sitting in their room a lot of the time this is this is somewhat of an indication that there might be drug use or might, there might be a mental health issue definitely mm. but drug use especially for teenagers um, so these these are the indicators is that they don't enjoy themselves until uh, unless they're under the influence of the of the drug. Um, their behavior changes. And how do you then approach that topic with them, or do you approach that topic with them? Um, it's important to approach it. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's not necessarily doesn't guarantee that you're gonna get a, a positive result out of it. Most of the time, the the first result would be that there's gonna be denial and that is always the case. Mm. But then when you start compiling kind of the, um, the incidences and be like, yeah, but this happened and this happened and this happened and that happened, maybe they'll be able to recognize it. As the first um, element to um, to recovery is always recognition. If, mm. they're, if the individual is not recognizing that they have a problem, then it's very, very hard to get them to recover. It's very hard to get them to treatment. And you can put them in a hospital, which happens a lot um, in in the Middle East. But then they'll they'll sober up for however long, and sometimes they can even get access to the drug in the hospital, and then get out and go back to their usual self. So unless they recognize that they have a problem, it's it, it is hard to get them off the drug, um, and then. And in your experience, has there been an increase in addiction in the Middle East over the past few years? There isn't any... I looked up that. Mm. uh, There isn't any specific statistics on the Middle East. Mm. I mean, with some countries, yeah. I mean, and we don't know how accurate that would be. But then 
there is an increase of addiction all over the world. So I would assume that, yes, there is an increase of addiction in the Middle East, but the exact numbers, we don't have that. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we need to take a quick break, but um, we'll be back with more with Reem. And I want to kind of talk to you about what advice you have for people who may be suffering from symptoms of addiction. All right. So we will be right back, guys. This episode is sponsored by Carriage UAE, where you can get everything from food to groceries and even pet supplies. As someone who orders pretty much everything, I pay a lot in delivery charges every month. But now you can sign up for Carriage Black for 20 dirhams a month and get unlimited free deliveries, which saves me a bunch of money so I can order even more stuff. If you haven't tried it out yet, go to your app store and download the Carriage app. Check out the episode description of this podcast for more info. And we're back with Reem. Okay, so I guess my next question for you is, what advice do you have for people who know someone who's suffering from addiction other than, I guess, just confronting them about it? Mm-hmm. Well, when somebody is struggling with an addiction, it's a, a, it kind of takes over their lives. So mm-hmm. um, support is needed, but also you need to be aware to protect yourself mm-hmm. because anybody could get sucked into that hole. So um, to, to maintain boundaries, but also maybe give support if you feel like that person is ready for um, to, to go in the ro- on the road to recovery. Um, so that's something. The other thing is that, especially for caregivers and partners and all of that, it, they, what tends to happen is that the, the caregiver or the partner would get sucked into the, the recovery of the individual who's uh, struggling with, with the addiction mm-hmm. and kind of leave their life behind and not really take care of themselves. So a lot of self-care is needed when you're you, when you're a caretaker of someone is, who is struggling with an addiction, even if they are in recovery, even if they are um, trying to help themselves, you need to also take care of yourself. So that's something that constantly gets uh, disregarded and ignored. And you said protect yourself. Um what do you mean by that? Is it because I guess generally someone going through recovery is going to have is going to be lashing out and things like that? Is that they can mean? be depending on the drug. To be mm. honest, it's um, if you're um, if if you're weaning off nicotine and and caffeine, you're just going to be a little ir- irritable, yeah. not aggressive. But then with other drugs, there can be um, some aggressive behavior. But not protect. I didn't mean protect themselves uh, physically, but then protect themselves emotionally because. Um, recovery is not a straight line. And this is Mm. what I tell my clients all the time. It's not a straight line. So there's going to be relapses. There's going to be a slip up where we're close to getting the drug. So to be emotionally invested in that as a partner or a family member, it's draining. So this Mm. is what I mean by protecting themselves. It's like, don't get too, I mean, get involved, but don't get too involved because Expecting that recovery is a straight line is 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 a recipe for a disaster for for the person who's supporting the the individual the addict or the addict himself and this is what we um, try to explain to them all the time it's not a straight line yeah. so um, so in that sense maybe pr- this is what I mean by protecting themselves and protecting their expectations yeah. and and kind of preserving their own energy. 
Yeah, but I think I mean that that is easier said than done. Yeah, if you're course. like a mother or a sibling to someone who's suffering, or even a partner to someone yeah. who's suffering, um, it's probably easier said than done because you're so invested in that person, mm-hmm. like in general. Never mind just trying to get them to be better, but mm-hmm. your your life is all wrapped up in that person anyway. Yes. Um, so I guess. How does one go about protecting themselves emotionally I mean, in that situation? This is this is what we, what what a lot of people struggle with is yeah. boundaries, creating boundaries, and um, a lot of the times this this would be the problem of the addict mm. is that it's not that they use the drug, how that it develops in, into an addiction where uh, it's years and years of struggle, and then um a lot of time getting into trouble with the law and with mm. I mean this is how an addiction develops usually and there's someone enabling that and it's most of the time the family members because yeah. you get into trouble we'll get you out or we'll find a way to 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 make the problem go away or we'll find a way to do this and this is what these are the consequences that an addict doesn't face usually mm. that leads them to go back and use the drug well Nothing really happened. I can get away with it. And yeah. that's the learned behavior. I can get away with it. So that's another part that doesn't really answer your question. That is the enabling part. But, but that's that, super interesting because that, that is such a thing that we that you see so much here mm-hmm. where there's that, the family enabling an individual's bad behavior yes. um, out of what in their mind is unconditional love. Protecting them. Yeah. I don't want to, if uh, we're talking about a mother, this is uh, her teenage son, 18, 19, 20. She doesn't want his future to be ruined mm-hmm. if he gets in, in an accident under the influence of a drug or gets arrested or anything like that. So they would do whatever needs to, the family will do whatever needs to be done in order for him to um, get away with it. But, the, but what this individual learns is I can get away with it. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I think what you what you said about boundaries yes, is very, boundaries. very important in the sense that, like, you have to set those boundaries mm-hmm. and realize that at the end of the day, that person is a fully grown adult mm. who is responsible for their own actions. And after a certain extent, you can only help them so much yes. before it's up to them to step up and kind of try to help themselves. Exactly. This is... Um, Addiction is an illness. It's mm. it, it, and we agree on that. I'm not I'm not blaming the addict here, mm. but at the same time, unless the addict takes responsibility and start to recognize the problem and wants to go and get help, it is not on anyone around them to try to help them. It is mm. not your responsibility, as a parent, as a sibling, as a partner. That's not your responsibility. So getting involved in that and and pushing and really this is a lack of boundary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so creating the boundary of no, I'm gonna do my life. I'm gonna take care of myself. When you're ready, I will support you. But mm-hmm. unless you're ready, I'm not. I I, I can't do anything. And right. it's recognizing that um, difference in creating that boundary, which is very very hard. And do I guess when you're treating someone do you usually just treat them individually or is it usually them and the family together I mean how does that usually work usually I work with individuals Mm -hmm. but I mean one of the trainings that I got was was basically the belief that you can't really work with the individual and send them back to the same dysfunctional family and then they would go back to the drug so usually I would recommend that they get a family treatment or that that 
their their partner partners or uh, wh- whatever family members they have for them to go into their own therapy mm. and it, and it helps a lot i've seen uh, people there's a higher tendency to recovery if the the other members of the family are doing their work on themselves as well right because it's it's um especially if we're talking about an uh, an addiction in in a teenager at a young age in a family then there's a family system and there's a there's a function again there's a function for the drug but there's a function for the addict in the family right so if yeah. you take him away work on him and send him back to to the same environment he's going to go back into his own role right yeah yeah, yeah. so um so a lot of the time you need to work with the family as well i don't do that personally but i know people who do that so we work when you when you work on on treating addiction a lot of the times you work on the you work as a team you don't work as an individual yeah i think um, there's there's that what you mentioned about the function which i think is super interesting because what people don't realize is whatever relationship you have with someone you're both contributing to exactly. it and you're both putting something in there that's allowing whatever that relationship to form yes and so that person that addict in your family did not form themselves and form their habits and form how they deal with you uh, in isolation exactly you contributed to that and so there's work that needs to be done yourself as well and there's accountability that needs to be taken on how you're enabling that behavior exactly and this is where in the middle east you'll find a lot of resistance because you say that to a family and their first reaction but the problem is not me it's that it's this person and a lot of the times you'll have a family walk in and they're so frustrated fix this yeah fix that individual well it's not only him that's the problem he's the one demonstrating the problem but there's a problem within the rest of the family as well but you say that and you're so not. True. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you, you don't become the most uh, liked therapist. <laughs> so I guess if you're someone who is noticing that you're starting to have unhealthy habits mm. with any kind of substance or hab- or behavior or whatever, mm. um, what advice do you have to those people before it even gets to the point of, let's say, addiction? Mm. If it's still in that space where they're, um, maybe between getting to the point of abuse mm. uh, and they're starting to like notice maybe some red flags in their own behavior. Yeah. What are some, I guess, recommendations you have or advice you have? I would recommend that they get themselves to um, any kind of professional help as soon as possible mm-hmm. because preventing the addiction from developing is so much easier than actually working on the addiction once it happens. Right. Um, so it's... Um, so whether whether it's psychotherapy, there's a lot of support groups, all kinds of support groups for for different kinds of addictions, um, and then there's the there's outpatient programs. There's a lot of different um, treatments, mm-hmm. but then definitely getting getting help and and looking at um, not only again not only your your tendency of using the drug and the pattern of using the drug, whatever that drug is. But also, what is the function? What does it do to you? What, mm. Why, why is, it, is it important to you? Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a level of self-awareness, I yes. think. Yes, <laughs> it takes a lot of self-awareness. That's why a lot of the times it's easier to just go to therapy because sometimes that kind of self-awareness is not there. It's, um, I mean, we're not... The way we're socialized and the way we grow, we we grow, we grew up is not is not in a way that's any that's um, 
and uh, that promotes any, any kind of introspection yeah. or uh, looking inwards. We're always looking outwards, and this generation is even worse with with the social media. So, um, so, so that's not a natural thing that people are going to be able to do. Um, and it's sometimes hard like, to be able to see your own patterns yeah. of behavior. So that's where therapy can be very helpful. No, very true. Um, and so let's say you ha- you've realized that you are suffering from addiction. What are some of the methods of seeking treatment in the mm-hmm. region? It's, um, I mean, there are different methods. Hospitalization is some is, is one method, and, and usually it, it's very beneficial for detox because you need to get the drug out of your system. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the times, especially when we're talking about the hardcore drugs, they're not, the, the withdrawal symptoms are horrible, and they need to be um, supervised under, uh, with, by a doctor. Okay. Um, so that's um, that's the number one thing is hospitalization, um, therapy, th- different therapeutic communities. So whether it's psychotherapy or group therapy or support groups or communities, these are all um, availabilities. There's all kinds of um, groups like AA, NA, Alcoholic Anonymous, NA is Narcotics Anonymous. And then there's Al-Anon even with for the for the families. Mm. So the families have their own again anonymous groups that they could go to and and discuss their oh, struggles. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's it, it's all over the world in every pretty much every city uh, in the world you'll find a program like that. There are sober houses where you go and it's again a support uh, community for you to stay sober mm-hmm. and there's um there's outpatient programs of course and um psychotherapy you said the word doctor and it just kind of reminded me of something i want to talk about which is what onus is there on doctors in the region who are prescribing and over prescribing mm. uh prescription drugs like xanax and like all these kinds of different things um because I feel like that is something that's happening yes. more and more. Oh, yeah. Um, where people are just going, and they know which doctor. Like, mm. you know, every city has, like, the list of doctors that you just go to, and you just walk in, and you're like, hi, I'd like a few strips of Xanax, please. And they just kind of hand you the prescription. I mean. Funny enough, it's a, you don't even have to be known. You, you could be a psychologist and then mm. get appointments where people are like, oh, do you prescribe drugs? No. Oh, okay. I don't want to make an appointment. Um, oh wow! Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, things like that happens happens a lot. Um, look again, there are no numbers, mm-hmm. and there are some countries where you'll find that substances are extremely controlled. So mm-hmm. substances like that are extremely controlled. The UAE being one of them. Yes, yeah. you can't even get a a mildly strong painkiller without um, your doctor having to go through hoops for it yeah. um, and then there are countries where it's um, I'm not going to name but then you can you can get Xanax from the from the pharmacy without even a prescription you can mm. walk in and be like oh can I have some Xanax and they'll, they'll give it to you yeah, yeah. so it's in the Middle East it really varies as to what is uh, how controlled the substances are I mean I'm I think, and I and you can see that governments are are uh, getting more and more aware of the problem, and getting more and more aware of the prescription drug problem. Yeah. That it that it is increasing and kind of increasing their hold on it, and 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 um, keeping the doctors um, 
um, a little more accountable. More accountable. Yeah. But then, it's it is going to happen anyway. I mean, you can't expect everybody to be acting ethically. And there's also a sense of maybe educating yourself if you're going to mm. to a psychologist or a psychiatrist for the first time because they might just decide, hey, I'm just going to prescribe you this. And they and because I mean I've I've heard stories of people who go in with slight anxiety and it's like oh yeah here's yeah. Uh, here's Xanax, Xanax. Or, or, and it's just like okay that might have not been the best situation for that person um, so maybe understand a little more of what you're taking or what's being prescribed to you before yes. you decide to kind of no take reading it. up on the drugs that you're you, you, that you're prescribed is 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 key mm. and very very important and even on on painkillers that you're being prescribed so yeah. not only drugs and being aware of your own tendencies and, and personality and, and um, oh, no, I don't, um, that's that's not going to be a very good situation for me. Medication is not the only option. It's it, it, it always seems like the easiest option because we live in a world that's controlled by pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And this is what, um, what the world is telling you, pop a pill for everything. And at this point, point they have a pill for everything <laughs> yeah. so but then um it's important to go back and ask yourself what is that going to do my to my body look at the research most of the time there's not going to be a long-term effects research right. and to me that is alarming and um, people sh- should research what they're being prescribed all the time okay that's some good advice um what, in your opinion, is needed in the region to help battle addiction? I think um, a lot more awareness, but awareness in, ta- in terms of opening up and talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. Mm. It's, um, it's a source of shame. When, yeah. you, uh, when you have a child who, uh, a family who has somebody in the family who's struggling with addiction. It's like, it's it's a secret, it's a source of shame. We don't talk about it. We don't, we, we have to hide it. We have to, something is wrong. And there isn't anything that's wrong. It's an illness like any other illness. It's like being struck by cancer. It's just not cancer. And, and the thing is that to add shame to that, mm. shame grows in the dark. So when you, when you add shame to the addiction, the addiction is going to grow. Right. When you put it in the light and when you allow um, the individual to talk about their journey, to talk about their problems for, for the siblings and the, um, and the family to be able to talk about how difficult it is to grow up with somebody who's struggling with addiction. And, and it's traumatizing for family members as well. Right. Um, that's something that, give, that sheds light and then helps the person heal. Mm. Um, in that, and then it helps the community to understand what's going on. It's being uh, addiction is is viewed in on uh, in te- in the media or in television. I I don't think it's an accurate description of what addiction is like. Very yeah. rarely do you have an accurate uh, portrayal of what it's like to battle an addiction and and something and and to struggle with with a drug. And it's uh, villainized, it's especially villainized. in. Middle Eastern media, I feel. Um, And it makes it so much worse for anyone who's actually dealing with it. Yeah. Um, I loved what you said about shame grows in the dark because I think people don't realize that, um, that when you're struggling with um, something and you're keeping it to yourself, you're just going to feel more and more shame and that's just Mm going to grow and grow as long as you're kind of 
afraid that people will find out. Yeah. And that's just going to kind of exasperate the problem more mm-hmm. and more. Yeah. Um, Recent research is showing that um, the first, one of the, one of the things that really um, is opposite to addiction is connection. Once mm-hmm. you're able to connect to others, you're yeah. less likely to use a drug. You know what stops connection? It's shame. Right. Is there something about me that if you see it, you won't, you will not like me, and you won't connect to me? So the more shame you have, the less likely you are to connect, and the more, the more, the less likely you are to connect, the more likely you are to go and use a drug because you're unable to connect. So you're gonna develop the connection with the drug. Right. So it's 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 somewhat of a vicious circle, and it's um, it all comes from that sense of shame in um, Egypt, where I come from. You don't quote-unquote, marry into a family that has a member who struggled with, with a drug addiction. Mm. That's that's something common within Middle Eastern cultures yeah. and Middle Eastern countries. So if you have something like, like that strong of a reaction to an illness, at the end of the day, it is an illness, yeah. um, how do you expect people to come out and be able to say, well, this is my story, this is what I struggled with, or this is, uh, this is what I battle... And addiction is a life battle. So once and so once you're struggling with it, you're gonna struggle with it for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. So for it to be a battle that somebody's fighting on their own in shame, very scared that people will find out, in hiding, families hiding, kind of not talking about those dark years that my son had at a certain point right. of their lives. It's just this is not gonna be a long term solution. Okay. I love that. That's an amazing quote uh, to end on before we jump into the three questions we ask all our guests. Mm -hmm. So the first question is, uh, what is the part of the culture you grew up in that you carry with you always? Sense of humor. Okay. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) Well, uh... Egyptians are funny, or at least to me, I find them very funny. Okay. <laughs> so um, I think that this is something that I that I carry with me even at work. I mean, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of my connection with my clients and a lot of the um, the therapy happens sometimes that we're laughing about stuff where we make uh, and where we make jokes about situations lighter. So, okay. Yeah. And what is the quality you most value in the people you keep around you? Um, authenticity. I, um, I really enjoy being around people who are true to themselves and true to what they believe. I think that's part of the reason why I enjoy my work so much because it's at the end of the day, nobody comes to therapy in order to not be true. They open up and they show the most raw sides of themselves. And I love that. And last question is what makes you happy? Well, these days, my dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, being in nature a lot of, makes me very happy. Um, um, being around, um, again, authentic people. Being, seeing, um, seeing awareness being raised around mental health topics, and for to see a show like that where you're trying to talk about. This, the, the subjects that nobody's talking about yeah. and there are so many of those in the Middle East and it's a, it's a, it's a step forward towards 
kind of battling shame. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's it. That's our last question. How was the? How was your first podcast? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Reem, for joining me on today's episode. Uh, where can people find out more about you or uh, your work or anything you're working on at the moment? I have an Instagram account. It's Reem Shaheen Ed. I'm sure you're gonna. Yeah, we'll put it in the, uh, in the episode uh, description. Yeah. In the episode description. And I can give you my, you have my email address as yeah. well, so people can, can communicate. Okay, so we'll yeah. put that on there as well. Awesome. So thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, you can reach out to me as always on Instagram, um, on Millennium Millionaire's Instagram, on my Instagram, whichever one you want. Uh, if you have any kind of questions or comments. Um, and yeah, everything's going to be in the episode description. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Rami or wherever you're listening. Guys, we're coming close to the end of season two, so make sure you subscribe if you want to know when season two, uh, season three comes out. Um, this has been a production of Finial Media, and this is Imshari Arnezi signing out. Bye, guys. Bye.